<laughs> Hello and welcome everyone to our next encounter lesson. Every time, every time we start recording, Chris makes me laugh. It's so funny. So I am one of your co-hosts. I am Becky Zardi. I'm the director of ministry with women from the ministry council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I am so thankful that you are joining us this week. If you have not before, make sure you hit those buttons below, like, and subscribe, share with a friend, share with an enemy. And today I'm joined by my lovely co-host in crime, Mr. Reverend Fleming. Chris Fleming. Um, we've been doing this for a while now, so hopefully yeah. we've gotten to know each other. But if you are new, uh, I am glad that you're here. Uh, we're going through this um, couple, couple more lessons from the um, summer. But remember, the last lesson for Ecclesiastes will be the first lesson that you get in fall. Yes. In the fall quarter, hopefully yeah. you guys have those in hand. I really like that um, cover. That cover, picture. yeah, it was a really pretty cover. Did a great job. Um, so to, today, yeah, what do you got going on? Day in the just, Park's coming up. Yeah, I want to do the Day in the Park thing. I want to yeah. remind everybody, uh, Montgomeryville State Park, October the 4th from 10 o'clock to noon. Uh, Reverend Sandra Shepard will be leading our worship. Reverend Dwayne Tyus will be giving us a message. We'll be able to explore the uh, monuments down there at the birthplace shrine and <clears throat> all the other places after uh, that's over. Well, we you'll have the option of going over to the lodge for lunch and just, you know, chilling out and having fun and all that good stuff. And it's a good time. Shipping. Yeah. Fun time had ball. It is a good time. If you <laughs> if you have not participated in one of the day in the parks before, I really encourage you and your group to do so it is it is a really awesome time of just understanding where we started and being able to see the the birthplace and just the different monuments that are there and just the history with our denomination it's really cool it's really enjoyable so please 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 make uh, plans to attend that as well well and so that's all i've got at this particular moment okay. very good well, this week is August 21st, and we are in Ecclesiastes 2. It is entitled Toil. We had an Ecclesiastes 2 a couple weeks we ago, did. but it was about vanity. Now yeah. we're going back to 2 because it also introduces us to toil. So. Toil, which is important. It's a very important word that we're going to talk about this morning. So before we get into our scripture reading, let us have our prayer for illumination. Lord God, in our study today, let us see our lives as we should. Help us to see that everything we do, say, or think is important in this world. Illumine our hearts so that we can be grateful for the work we have before us. Amen. That is a great way to start the study because that's what we're going to talk about today is the things that we do in our life, whether it's what we say or think, it's everything that we do is important. Um, so our scripture selection is Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 8 and 4, 4 through 8. Our memory verse is Ecclesiastes 4, 4. It says, then I saw that all toil and all skill and work came from one person's envy of another. Love. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. I mean, just before we get started, I mean, like yeah. how much innovation do we have in the world because somebody else might get there first? Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. it is. Like it's terrible motivation, but it's a very powerful motivation. Yeah. And a lot of our technological advances have been because we want something better than somebody else in fashion. I mean, a great example of that modern day example of that is a look at the space race yeah. that we were involved in between the SpaceX and was it JetBlue? Um, and Whatever Jeff Bezos, Bezos is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what his, his company's called, but think of all the innovation that has come about because they were all trying to get somewhere first. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal to think about that. And if you haven't watched any of the SpaceX stuff, that that is crazy watching them Falcon rockets come back and land back on yeah. earth. It looks like it's CG, but it, it's not, it's, it's real. And real it's life. Just, I mean, well, a lot crazy. of our, yeah, a lot of the advancements that we've had, especially war, sure. it's always trying to big the builder or the bigger and the better, whatever missile weapon, yeah. but even like, um, I mean, the things that we enjoy came about because like, you know, one millionaire wanted to get to the other side of the United States faster than the other. 
where TV's got to be bigger and mm-hmm. you know, more precise. But anyway, I say that yeah. to say that there is a sense in which there's some inherent, uh, there is something to it that that's yeah. really right. But anyway, okay. It is. It now it the really lesson. Is. So let's, let's talk about that though, because that's going to lead us right into our discussion question. Yeah. Because what Dr. S starts us off with, what makes some work drudgery and other work enjoyable? Yeah. I mean, obviously when you think about the innovation, of trying to get somewhere first, there's that level of competition. Mm-hmm. So that makes it enjoyable. Oh, it's discovering new things. That makes things sure. enjoyable. Yeah. And doing but the same what, thing. What over makes and something over. that's drudgery? Yeah. Yeah, hey. but some people, some people like that. You know, I'm thinking about people that I know that have worked in factories their whole life and the repetitive process. And they just they like just understanding that they're doing the same thing day in and day out well so personalities temperament has a lot to do with that i mean like if you're a person who likes schedule likes to you know doesn't like to jump out and do new things all the time it's perfect and no harm right i mean people are people um but i've found that in the work that i do it can be considered drudgery or meaningful enjoyable the same job it just Sometimes yeah. also depends on my attitude. Yes, I think a lot of it depends on my attitude. <laughs> to be honest, if I'm really thinking about it, I think a lot of that depends on my attitude at the moment. Yeah. I think the things that I find personally most enjoyable, I, I'm a teacher at heart. So when I see that little light bulb go off in people's eyes, when I have taught them something yeah. new, that brings me great joy, but I'm also a creator. So I love like tending my garden and taking care of my plants. I love watching things bloom. Um, I love creating art because there's just something about knowing that this thing, whatever, whatever it is, is I, I made this. So there's, yeah. But and I'm even the, not one of those people that like to do the repetitive thing. That's not thing. my personality. I'm not either. So, yeah. like, one of the reasons as to why this is an important subject is, both biblically speaking, um, there is something to, like, Christ does his Father's work, or, like, it's implied that we do work in Scripture. And then yeah. in our society, we'll get to it a little bit later, um, there's this sense in which um, work is almost how we define ourselves in this in our, in our culture like Absolutely. how much we do what position we're in so on and so forth but i think something that makes life utterly terrible is not having work like yes drudgery or not i've known too many people who get laid off can't find a job and they spiral down and not having work is a terrible thing from my experience yes. yeah. i haven't done it too often so, and some of it is, I think, you know, we were created to work. We were created, we were put in the garden to tend and uh, to and be to co-creators, things, to be co-creators, to make things pretty and to be fruitful, right? Like yeah. that our work had meaning and purpose. That's, I think, maybe the answer I should have started with. What makes some work drudgery and other work enjoyable is the meaning and purpose I see in it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Because if you don't see any meaning and purpose, then it, then it is drudgery. It's like, it's why? Why am I doing this if there's not any meaning or purpose? Yeah, even the most yeah. terrible job, if you can say, hey, that's providing for my family. It gives yeah. me time for my family, even though I might not like the job. I love my family more. And this job pays the bills and I get to spend weekends with, with my kids. You know, that's good. Yeah. You can overcome yeah, a lot yeah. of stupid stuff to to take hold of the prize that you desire the most. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <sighs> so Dr. S has really jumps in talking about toil and labor and how important this word is, which is why we've kind of come back to it, even though we went back to Ecclesiastes too, how important this word is in Ecclesiastes. Um, he tells us here that the Bible concordance tells us that Ecclesiastes refers to human toil no less than 24 times when and when the word work is included we find another 15 times in the book so toil and labor work are are important concepts to to us as humans i think chris you already talked about that 
we were created to work. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, if you go back to Genesis being co-creators, we were supposed to, we were supposed to work alongside of God, making good things, you know, tending to the garden and creating new stuff. And just, so I think it's innate in our, in our being that this is what we're supposed to be doing. I believe so. You know, and most of us, okay. So let's be honest. How many of us spend majority of our time working at something now, now this is an interesting conversation because I remember having conversations when I was like, I don't know, young, I was a workaholic. Even when I was young, (laughs) it's terrible, probably like 13, my girlfriend and I were sitting around talking about like our school day was our work day, you know? it was our eight to three or whatever. And we had our travel time too, but we also worked part-time jobs. Both of us babysat, you know, we did a lot of things around in our community. We both volunteered for a lot of different organizations, be it our church, or uh, we're both heavily involved in 4-H. And so we would sit, I just remember having conversations, 13, 14, 15 years old on the phone with my girlfriend talking about how exhausted I already was because I put in like 70, 80 hours that week, you know, and, and has that changed in my life? No, I still put in, I still put in a lot of hours a week, depending on, you know, but that I, again, I think that goes back to temperament, personality, temperament. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very much. So it is what it is. Also the way you were raised or the examples you had before, um, you know, like my parents were both insane when it came to working and it just carried over i guess sure absolutely so we have this we have work and and it's even our relaxation and our hobbies sometimes can be considered work yeah but you found fulfillment and purpose in them therefore they're a hobby sure you know i mean like anything okay well that what what makes a hobby if you find fulfillment and purpose in it what makes a hobby different from your job then paying bills I mean, that's a big one. I mean, I'll so just the monetary game. But what if your hobby also made you money? Then you're a lucky human being and you're <laughs> one of those unicorns that that are no, I mean, you're blessed in life. I mean, yeah. that's isn't that the phrase people say, do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's true. There's something to that. I mean, you know. That is true. Yeah. Hmm. Good thoughts today, teachers. Hang on to some of these. Is there anything else in the intro you want to hit before we jump into exploring the scripture? No, it's a good intro. Okay. Well, let's jump into exploring the scripture then. Let's do some exploration. What have you got for explorations today? I got a couple things. I think what I'd like to just pull out first, just in general, because we're talking more about Solomon himself, some of the things Solomon did. Of course, Solomon did all these great things. You know, we chronicles in here, all the great things Solomon did. And then he talks about building the big buildings and military expansion and those kinds of things. Here's the trick. I mean, um, with all these great things, the labor comes from somewhere because the king's not going to hike up his little skirt and, uh, you know, dress, whatever they call it, effing, whatever, and do the work himself. I mean, this is not going to happen. And so, you know, and then depending on how much money you have as a nation, whether, you know, you're going to be the one that how much money are you going to pay? You've, of course, it's easier to have slaves and it's easier to have conquered citizens to do your bidding because it's cheaper, you know. So um, I think what we see a lot of times in our work or in our desires and goals is that it leads us maybe without thinking about it to make the world worse, right? In some sense, Solomon gets the temple built, He makes Jerusalem one of the greatest cities ever, but at the same time, he's enslaving people and taking Mm -hmm. burdensome taxes uh, from the citizenry and mistreating those prisoners of war, maybe. Um, And so I I have written down here that sometimes our rat races of our own making, the things that make us miserable, are also because we've chosen to overstep our bounds, maybe, uh, in what we do. So I think that's a place to start. Absolutely. Okay. So in, let's look at that in context with Solomon. So Solomon did do amazing and great things. He was known as the wise king. He was the one who 
had this this huge kingdom and expanded Jerusalem, expanded the Israelite kingdom, and talked. He talks about the agriculture, the livestock, the art, the music, government management, all of these things, all of these this building expansion that he did, his palace and the temple and all of this. But if we look at what happened at the end of Solomon's reign, you know, that's, that's when the nation split into the Northern and Southern kingdoms because the Rehoboam, his son took over from Solomon and the people came to him and said, you know, your, your father worked us really hard and we would appreciate it if you'd like you know, pull back some of that stuff. Wouldn't do then, some of this stupid stuff. <laughs> You know, and then Rehoboam, unfortunately, did not listen to the older, wiser advisors, but took his guidance from the young bucks. And yeah. and that's what split the kingdom. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I think that's an important thing to think about how yeah. we make our money, yeah. how we do the things we love makes a difference. Absolutely. You know, if Solomon, even though in his wisdom he did all these treaties and everything, which is why he had 700 wives. But can you imagine just uh, the financial support that would be needed to the palace to support 700 wives and all of their children, not to mention what he had 300 plus concubines as well. Yeah. Um, I have three children. I can imagine 300, you know, and where did that money come from to support this huge palace and all of these wives and all these children well it came from tax money yeah. from from the people you know so it was um you know we think about we don't think about that often that that solomon unfortunately even though he did amazing and great things it was these this rat race that he got himself caught yeah. up in that caused then the downfall keeping up with the joneses is 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 yeah um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, at the bottom of page 82, um, Dr. S just brings up Genesis passage from Genesis 3. Like one of the consequences also of sin was that you would, um, by the sweat of your brow or by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. In other words, um, you're not fruitful anymore. Like, so right. that's why, and we've said this in past episodes, this is exactly why we get frustrated with work. Because sometimes, unless we get blessed, and we are people who get to be connected with our vocation, which we'll talk about, and just everything seems like work, and mm -hmm. and we do it because well, we got to pay the bills, right? And, and we'd right. rather be doing something else. We don't know what that is, but we do know it's something else, right? Because right. the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, right? Yeah, and so some of this is a curse from from Genesis that we're going through, right? Um, and you find redemption from a curse through Jesus Christ. And so Je Jesus Christ, we'll talk about this, will reorient how we understand work. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's something there. Um, but I did want to, or, it you know, when we're under that curse, um, I switch over to 81, four lines down, where he says, then I considered all the all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a good um, description of life or a work life without Christ. I think. Yes. I, 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 I think. do agree. Yeah. Because there's, and it's, and it's interesting because I keep thinking about that quote from Jim Carrey that we talked about last week where, you know, he was talking about, he had everything and it, and it wasn't worth it. And I know people have criticized Jim Carrey for saying that, but then there's other people that have come back and said, and I, and I loved their response to it. They said, who else could say that except somebody who has experienced fame and fortune yeah. to understand that it's not everything that we think it is. Yeah. And the same goes for Solomon, you know, other than Solomon, who could say that all of the stuff that I've gained, all the toil that I've done, everything that I have accomplished under the sun it's just vanity and chasing after the wind, you know, only somebody who has experienced this could yeah. then come back with the wisdom and say, you know, yeah, I've never thought that was unfair. It's, I mean, like when somebody is, has benefited, I mean, like, so learn from them. They right. know it. it the, the problem comes is a lot of times in situations like that, when people are like, well, I've worked hard, but I haven't achieved as much success. Right. 
So how can they say that? I mean, yeah, well, cause it's true. I mean, like yeah. they, they've been there and, and yeah. trust them. Don't spend, yeah. or maybe use it as a warning and, and use, use Ecclesiastes as a warning to everybody who's studying this. Make sure you got your priorities right, because at the end of yes. your journey, you're not going to be as appreciative as you thought you might, right? Right. Um, so yeah. keep that in there. Um, it's not as awesome as we think it would be. <laughs> yeah, and I think some yeah. of it is. Um, I've got in here, I've got it highlighted um, toward the bottom of that paragraph. Uh, on the other hand, it is often the case that our work, even the work we otherwise love and enjoy, brings frustration, disappointment, and the thought that it makes little difference to anyone. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, the example I've got, I remember I was at Margaret Hank, like 11th year, 10th or 11th year. And I remember I was in a session meeting and some elder, which I don't, they're probably not watching this, so I can be completely honest, but asked a question that was so asinine. Like I couldn't even believe that they asked it. And as soon as they asked it, my response was, I've been here 10 years and this is where, this is how far we've gotten. What am I doing here? I don't right. understand life. And it's, it was so disappointing that like in a flash, 10 years, I was just like, mm -hmm. have I done yeah. anything? I don't know. Anyway. No, I totally agree. I think as a parent, you can feel that way. You know, when you're, when your children become teenagers and somehow some way their brains just leave their little blessed heads and they say things to you that are just, all you can do is stand there and shake your head. Like, have you learned nothing? Have you listened to nothing that I have, I have told you, you know, I do think that things that we love and enjoy can bring us frustration, disappointment, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's also at those moments though, that I've called my mother and apologized yeah. because I, I recognize that I probably have done the same things and said the same things. Probably. But yeah, maybe, you not. know, I was an angel. After um, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and then the other thing that he says is uh, we talk about things like self-discipline and hard work. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and then at the bottom of that second full paragraph, Kohelis would argue that the wise person may find meaning and enjoyment work, but it is often a drain. But the wise person knows yeah. why they're doing work. Like, sure. And so there's, so even the ends, like I said, somebody who does the, you know, the factory work, as long as the if they're wise to say, but this is what's giving me what I want or something mm -hmm. that is glorifying God. If it's giving you some purpose, even if it's not at that job, you can still accept it for a while. Like, right. Sure. That's that's part of being. Sure. Um, Absolutely. But I think, you know, there's a sense in which um, the wise person also knows that they're working for a higher cause wherever they're at. Yeah. And so maybe we'll. We or should be, okay. you know, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that with the vocation, but we should be working for a higher cause. I think in our, in the Western culture, and that's something that we get caught up in all the time is just the idea of having a good work ethic. Um, and I know I hear that a lot that the younger generation does not have the work ethic of the older generation, but that's something that we really value as a culture itself here in the United States is having a good work ethic work ethic and being self-disciplined yeah. um but but also we have to temper that with we have to temper that with the very last paragraph of the section it says ultimately it is not material wealth that can satisfy but rather the capacity to enjoy life and its work as a gift as gifts from god hmm. that's where the temper has to come that we can enjoy work and we can and we can work hard but we still have to enjoy life yeah, because and this is the one we have. This is all we got. It's the and only it's, one we get. And this life is the vehicle by which God blesses us. Yes. Yeah. As and it's also world. the vehicle by which we bless others in yeah. our understanding of who God is, which we're, we're going to talk about. So um, discussion question. What are some accomplishments you are most proud of that when you die will be forgotten? Most everything I've done will be forgotten. I'm okay yeah. with that. But yeah. what won't be forgotten is I'm also worked really hard to change people's lives. Like I've been in position in ministry to where I can help people connect with Jesus. And when they do that, I think not only their life is fundamentally changed, but their the generations after them are fundamentally changed. Yeah. And and so whether I get credit or not, I don't care. But I do know that whether they can assign it to 
the preacher at the Margaret Hank Church or to Chris or to the encounter if I've written a lesson. I don't care. I do care about the results. And I know right. that some things have, I know the world is better in at least one or two places of the world because I existed and I was faithful. There's right. a lot of things I've messed up, but that wasn't the question. The things I'm most <laughs> proud of is, is the work that I know I've done. And so take that for what it's worth. But yeah, so I think it's the, the purpose or not the purpose The there's a sense where I know that I've done something that's changed generations and who knows how much or how much. right that ripple effect you yeah. know i think that's i think that's something you know as a christian i don't think it should be our goal to be remembered after we die yeah i i just don't think that's the purpose i think as a christian our goal is for people to know christ and to become part of that kingdom become part of our family so you just said something yeah maybe you would say something along the lines of that people may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Right. That's there you go. Glorify that's, God. That, God. that should be the goal. That should be our goal is that people understand that God is amazing and great. And, but the, the ripple effect that we have, and I think that's something that we don't often think about. I just preached revival this last week. And that was one of the things that, um, that I discussed with them is, is God changing me created a ripple effect to the world around me because my attitude changed and my personality changed the way I treated other people changed and the way I treated other people changed caused them to change their reactions. And, and so we, we create this beautiful, it's like, you know, throwing a rock into a pond and just watching the ripples come across the water. We have no idea how far that will reach, how many people it will reach we can be guaranteed that our actions and our attitude good or bad are going to cause a reaction so as a, as a christian it should be change for the better create a ripple effect that that changes the world around you for the betterment for the kingdom to glorify jesus see mm, that was good that there's a whole sermon in there so let's let's keep going <laughs> so digging deeper I love the fact that Dr. Estes starts with in scripture, the work of human beings is multifaceted because it is, there's the physical labor, but there's also the emotional and spiritual dimensions. And I think with Ecclesiastes, one of the things that we're talking about is that we need to keep a balance, that there has to be balance, that there is a time for work, but there's also a time to enjoy it. Right. Yeah, um, I think maybe in the, uh, he's fired up today. Um, So there's this sense in which the Sabbath is, um, what did Jesus say? The Sabbath was made for man. It's a way in which we make sure we don't overwork ourselves. In the garden, we were created to work. We were also, though, created for fellowship. That was our first and foremost. God created human beings, and then this, and the seventh day he rested. The first thing he wanted to do or God wanted to do was to, to fellowship with humanity. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing was to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so we want to keep that right. I mean, like the Sabbath is, again, I say a revolutionary idea because it makes no sense to do it. It is yeah. a complete lack of efficiency. If you can, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. That's right. And if that's how you understand the Sabbath, then yeah, it's useless. But if it is to connect and repurpose and recreate, then there's something better than just work there. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Estes talks about how revolutionary this was in the world and the culture around, there's no other, there's no other culture. There's no other tribe that, that did things the way the Israelites did things. Oh, that makes no sense. It was strange. You know, why would you, I mean, if you're thinking about the fact that they were a hunter gatherer society, you know, an agrarian community, you have an entire day that you're not working in your fields, that you're not hunting, that you're not putting away food for the winter, like that seems like a waste. But it all comes back to that balance because this is the day that we celebrate the Lord and what God has done and remember the good gifts that God has given us. Yeah. So then I think 
uh, the, the other thing the Sabbath does is pushes us on in this digging deeper is that the Sabbath reminds us that ultimately we are spiritual beings too. The yes. work that we do on this earth is almost a symbol or a manifestation also of our spiritual lives. I think that's why when we're complacent in work or we don't have a job, we feel depressed. When we stop doing spiritual activities, when we stop going to church, when we stop being, you know, uh, fruitful in our, our spiritual lives, we also feel um, disconnected from Christ. And yeah. so uh, Jesus will say things he's got in here, labor for things that don't spoil, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's what Jesus tells us. Lay up, do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus then connects physical labor with our spiritual work too. And then uh, like Jesus says, um, do, 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 what else does he say there? Um, says Jesus did not advise oh. the disciples not to work, but rather yeah. keep things in proper perspective. They right. were to strive first for the kingdom of God. Yeah, strive first for the kingdom of God. Then these yeah. things will be added to you. Keep the first things first kind of thing. Um, yeah. But what I was going to say, too, is it's that there's a sense in which as we rest from our physical labor and we enter in a Sabbath, uh, we work from our, we, we also can decease, desist from our uh, spiritual labor because Christ has also carried us, right? Like yeah. we no longer have to earn God's favor, but we can do things with meaning and purpose. We don't have to earn God's love, but we can develop God's love, get connected with God's love in the same way busy work. One reason why you find it frustrating is not meaning or purposeful. You know, somebody who disciplines themselves to read the Bible just for the sake of reading the Bible, but is forgetting that it's a devotional act. Yeah. We're seeking God's heart. It's going to feel different. Right. So. Absolutely. That's how we connect those two. I think it is. It is all about the body and spirit coming together as one. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we're like in in uh, page eighty three, where um, uh, the last or the last paragraph, right before the discussion question in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Just in case you're in a trivia game, <laughs> uh, the glorified Christ addresses the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Now he's not talking about you clocking in at Burger King. He's right. talking about the works that you show, your piety, the way that you've you know, done your charity and your almsgiving and these kinds of things, that's, and your toil, there's some sense in which I think, you know, it's the same thing. You've done things that need to be done and you haven't shortcutted things. Right. Uh, and then you've been patiently enduring these things. I think these are, these are good. So it's a spiritual thing. I think it's also just a physical thing, right? Yeah, I agree. These are, these are good things to talk about because I think in our Western culture, we are off balance. Um, this is becoming more and more of a, I want to say hot topic uh, within people about, about balance in your life, about bringing balance and, and making sure that you have boundaries that, you know, your physical labor is, is a certain part of your week, but don't do too much of it that you make sure that you still invest time in yourself and you still invest time in your spiritual awareness and your spiritual growth. And that it's important that you keep your life in balance because anytime that you're off balance, then, then it becomes that drudgery. It becomes, you know, I think there's, there's a great conversation going on, especially amongst some of the women that I've talked to about how we can be so busy doing the work of the church that we forget the purpose of why we're you doing it. Jesus. You forget Jesus. You just, you just become so busy doing good things. You forget the reason why you're doing these good things. And that's to share the gospel message, to share Jesus with other people. Um, you know, so there, there is this great turmoil about keeping this balance in your life because you can sit in church every week and get nothing out of it yeah. if it's just something you do you know? exactly one yeah. last thing i'll say is the other thing yeah. that i think our, our younger generation is getting hoodwinked and i don't blame them for it at all and when i was a kid i thought the same thing it was how much money could i make like they will base jobs yeah. the place where they put their applications in just on the amount of money per hour won't think about how much longer it takes to get there won't if it fits their schedule and and so the, one of the things I, I like to caution, my, they don't listen to me, but all the young people that I have, I'm like, look, don't worry about the hours. Like when you're, 
or the, the, the amount per hour. And people disagree with me, that's fine. But I, I just know if someone stays at one job long enough, they end up making more money than if you switch jobs three or four times. This and what ends up happening is, is that people are like, well, they'll pay me $15 over here. They're making 13, working 35 hours, but at 15 bucks an hour for 28 hours is less money, but it's more per hour as if that was, mm. and then they hate the job. And so then they are two weeks looking for another job. And by the time it's all said and done, um, when you're young uh, and just starting out, experience is more important than money. And I say this as a person who has always taken jobs for less money because I choose to, like, right? Because I've I've realized, I realized in the restaurant world, I jumped from one restaurant to another, should have never done it. And, and it was for like, you know, it was, you know, a considerable amount more, 10 grand more a year, but I would have given that 10 grand back to never do that. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's my, sorry, guys. No, and that that's true. That's something that we need to, we need to weigh out. So that kind of leads us into, because, you know, Chris and I have both worked in, if you haven't gathered from our conversations, a lot of different occupations. <laughs> we have both worked in several occupations. So our discussion question is, do you agree with this quote from Martin Luther? Every occupation has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving the neighbor, and we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. Do you agree? Disagree? I absolutely agree, um, but I'll okay. say this. Depending on how broad you want to say it, I've only worked in the restaurant business, and I've worked in, in the Jesus business. Uh, so not several. I've prepared the food. And then yeah. I served it in the church. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you go. But I'll say this. I've told you all this in the last podcast, and I think it's absolutely true. If I were to lose my job today, and the only thing that I could do was to work in a restaurant, I would see that as a ministry. Like, absolutely. in my mind now, I'm called the ministry, whatever expression that takes. And that was what Martin Luther was trying to say. And we'll pick that up in the next section. But one of his famous quotes, I think it was Luther. It could have been Calvin. But it sounds too fun to be Calvin, so it has to be Luther. You know, even if you're a ditch digger, you build the best ditches for God and that you yeah. in your ditch, you're going to save some of your community from flooding somehow. Like, right. Yes. So like digging the ditch is important and it's not the digging the ditch part. It's the part that you're serving God and you're serving your neighbor. That's yeah. what makes your vocation. And so like you can do I could I could do just effective as ministry in a way in a restaurant as I could in a church. But sure. I don't think God called me right now to a restaurant might later. Right. I don't know. Right. No, I would, I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. You know, before I was called to ministry, it's so funny because people that have known me throughout the years are either not surprised that I was called to ministry because of my attitude and personality then, or just the way I looked at things, because even I know I was, I was one of those crazy people. So I think no matter what you do, whatever you do in life, if you do it for the glorification of God, yeah, you know, it's, it's all divine work. Um, if you work in a bank, okay, you're helping people manage and hopefully advise them on their financial situation and offering them advice and, and giving them counseling perhaps on, on how to best invest or, um, yeah. how to budget, you know, there's so many people out there that have no idea how to budget or how to even balance a checkbook that sometimes as, as, as somebody who's worked in a bank, I won't tell you how many industries I've worked in. It's a lot more than just two, um, <laughs> a lot more than just two. But, you know, there's just so many people out there that have no idea what to do with that. And so being able to help them helps them fulfill their purpose. You know, no matter what position I think you work in life, yeah. if you're doing it for the glorification of God, you know, I think that's, you're serving, you're serving. I think that's it. But I think that yeah. question, good job, doc. That question leads mm -hmm. to that next section where mm -hmm. we talk about Christian vocation yeah. and the priesthood of all believers. Okay. Um, I mean, like what you just said is right. Like every, every industry, which is under this sun, God has missionaries. And if you want to think of yourself as a missionary, that's what essentially what work is. It is an absolute opportunity to do the mission work, to glorify God, enjoy God, 
evangelize, tell people about Jesus Christ, model uh, Jesus as an Ooh, example is one. That's that you a could do. yeah. Just if you, you know, get bored. That's, that's something I don't think we think about often enough is modeling the behavior that we're supposed to. I think we get too caught up in the world. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, like, again, it's just because it's when Jesus says, you know, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I mean, we just get wrapped up in statuses of money or what we can do with money. And I get it. Like, I've got a massage chair right there, which I won on a silent <laughs> auction, by the way. Like, I'm blessed. I know I am. But I mean, I, I just through my life, I've, I've shown that I'll, I don't mind giving things up if it's for a purpose or meaning. Right. And I think that's where we have to be when it comes to this thought of vocation. Like, I don't have to have a pride of being behind the pulpit. Um, I can I can flip fish with the best of them and still think that I'm doing the work of God. Right. Flip fish. I like that. Flip I can fish. do it. Yeah. That's uh, all. Okay. But let's let's um let's define vocation. What what is a vocation? So what we've been talking about, I think, is exactly what vocation is. You're, you, we Christians have a vocation. Every single Christian shares the exact same one, actually, to glorify God and to evangelize, like, right, to yes. bring people to Christ. That's really our vocation. That is what we're called to do. That's the higher purpose, meaning, calling, mission, whatever you want to call it. Now, we've taken vocation to mean, in the secular world, would be just mm. what we have devoted ourselves to. So, like, if you go to college to be a banker, if you go to college or tech school to be a mechanic, or whatever, then your life is segmented in some sense to say, this is who I am. Like my job defines me. Um, but as Christians, our vocation is to serve God. Yeah. And we do that in whatever roles of work that God has for us, whatever that may be. Now, yes, we can get a little more specific. There may be times where God is calling you to a certain thing and you are resisting it. I think most preachers have that um, in their background. Sure. Like sure. they've, God has pushed them into parish work or whatever, you know, parochial work, whatever you want to call it, um, church work, as opposed to being a mechanic. But being a mechanic makes more money and less problems and less people, you know. As long as you do your good work, people give you the bill. They might even leave you, leave you a good review on Yelp. In the church, <laughs> it is very hard to make people happy. Even when you do a good job, it's hard to get a five-star Google review for your church. (laughs) It's so hard. Uh, And like I said, I mean, that's, and that's just the way it is. I mean, it's so, um, that's how I would define vocation would be our first vocation, serve God, glorify God, Mm -hmm. bring people to Jesus Christ. Right. And then work is what you do. And then work is, is your occupation. Yeah. Yeah. Work is your occupation. But I think it's really important for us because it again in the in the Western context and in, in this culture, we have we have siloed everything out, right? Like our our church life and our work life are two very separate things. And and as a follower of Christ, that is not true. Right. As a follower of Christ, number one vocation is to seek the kingdom first, and all his righteousness will be added unto you. In your occupation, you are to exemplify and model Christian behaviors and attitudes. Yeah. You are to share Christian values with others. And, and so your vocation should dictate how you deal with people in your occupation. Yeah, but sure. I think we, we, have, we have siloed that. I think in our culture, we have just said, well, never the two shall meet, you know, and, that, and that's, yeah, that's, that that's is, a lot. Yeah, that is absolutely a lot. You know, it, it should be the vocation that we have as a follower of Christ, being a chosen child of God should dictate how we manage ourselves and everything else, whether it's family, friendships, or work, it should, it should dictate that. So part, I guess I I shouldn't be so maybe strict when I'm saying that the vocation is only this and it doesn't include your job. I mean, you're, you, you feel fulfilled when you get those Mm -hmm. two in line. So like, there's a lot of preachers. I think the last statistic was like 35 preachers are done after five years of ordination. They're in a different occupation. Very well could be they shouldn't have been there. Like that, we, we read about him. We want to say churches are terrible and Christians are hard and all that jazz, but it could just be they weren't supposed to be there. That was not their 
vocate or their job or part of the vocation. Maybe they needed to be in the restaurant. They needed to be in the mechanics spot. And that's good. Like, Lord knows, I was probably a hundred percent more effective in the restaurant world with those people than my pastor ever would be. <laughs> I don't even know how to speak the language, brother. Like, and so, so I think what we should do is, as a church, so Sunday school teachers, maybe that's something you can start in your own Sunday school class. We have pastor appreciation days, which, you know, great. But I mean, I think the church should value anyone in any position who is doing the work of God. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because that's mission work. Like, this is where I'll stir the pot a little bit. The Bible college I went to was Church of Christ. I think Rebecca went to the Church of Christ Church when she was growing up. One of the things about the Church of Christ Church, they actually practice this all every member of minister in that anybody could serve communion. Anybody could baptize anybody. Well, no, not men. women. Men. Okay. Men. Sorry. Men could do that. Sorry. But yeah. there was no hierarchy between like the pastor is the only one that could serve communion or the pastor. Right. And and I, I, for the lack of not wanting to get in trouble, the way I view that is my job as a minister was a whole lot more than serving communion. In fact, I only did that once a month. Baptisms, right. I did like six times a year, maybe if I was lucky, seven you know, 10 one year, I think we were on a roll. Those 10, 16 times did not define my job. What defined my job was praying for my congregation, creating fellowship opportunities. Preaching was a really big one. You know, doing administration of the church, that's what I was mm -hmm. there for. I was not any different than, um, than you know, my my congregation that was the community college teacher or whatever. So right. I, don't, I don't get fired up if people want to serve communion. I mean, like, obviously I stand by that, but I remember that was a big one in our church. And, and I remember people saying, well, like, why do I go to school for X amount of time? If anybody can do this, I'm like, because you got to run a church. Like, like there's no mechanics going to be like, yeah, why don't you come change this brakes? Mm -hmm. Right. You haven't been trained to do that. Right. Yeah. But yeah. But that's not what, you know, it's not like uh, one particular part makes a mechanic. It's just you. there's a whole lot that goes into being a preacher. Yes. And I don't think those two acts define you. But right. again, no. I'm not going to stir that pot. I don't care. I do whatever the right. confession of faith says. But but I think we do honor. We should honor people in their jobs when they're being. When they're being mi missionaries to Christ. Okay. Yes. Yeah, in whatever in whatever position that they're in, which is which is going to kind of lead us into our discussion question. It says, "Do you consider the work you are doing a vocation? Why? And if not, what do you think you should be doing?" Yeah, I think I've answered it. I mean, like I'm where I'm supposed to be, and yeah. like I said, I learned I learned to be where I'm supposed to be. But but yeah. ultimately, I'm always going to be trying to be Christ-like, and I'm going to try to preach the gospel. Yes. Like that's what I'm going to try to do wherever I'm at. Yes. And I, and I think that's, again, going back to every Christian has the same vocation. When you say yes and accept Jesus into your heart and make your profession of faith, you take on, you know, the great commission to go and teach. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you teach by showing others. You teach by by exemplifying those characteristics of Christ. This is, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Is there anything else in that learning from the scripture before we jump into no. the applying? Okay. So let's, let's apply this. How do we, how do we do this? How do we take this? Um, See, Dr. S starts with the book of Ecclesiastes does not flinch from the dreariness of daily toil but it does call the reader to accept the handful of quietness that may come just in the nick of time. And I think that's how we apply this to our life. Daily toil is just that it is daily and it can be a toil. It can be drudgery. It can be dreary. It can be worrisome and frustrating, but because we have Jesus, because we're a follower of Christ, we should also have that balance of having those moments of quietness and, and enjoying those things of those works of our hands, enjoying 
the creation that God has given us to live in. And then just being thankful for that and being able to share it with other people as our, as our vocation and calling. Yeah. I think I just, I think what I would do to apply the scripture would be to think of our lives in this discussion question, like how does your job, how does your position contribute to blessing your family, your community and the world? And Mm -hmm. I think that's how we apply the scripture. That's what we, that's what we try to do in our vocation, what we try to do in our jobs. Again, it's hard to be happy about a job you don't like, but also position yourself and to say, well, okay, I'm here now. What can I do to make the world better? Better, better. Who can I affect today? How, how can I make changes in my own culture? I'll give you just one quick personal example. I, I started a position several, several years ago and the the place was so tense because nobody got along a small office or five people that worked in this office. And the place was so tense that when you walked in the door, you could literally cut the air with a knife. I mean, it was just insane. It was awful. And I, you know, after two weeks, I remember telling my husband, I don't know if I can stay here because I can't handle this kind of an environment. I mean, it was just suffocating. Nobody wanted to talk to anybody. As soon as people come in in the morning, they shut their doors and that, that was it. I mean, that was the end of conversation. And at that time I was really kind of coming back to church and just really kind of understanding what God was calling me to do. Um, so I just started playing worship music at church, you know, or at, at my desk, I started playing worship music and just being me just being bubbly and greeting people in the morning I'm really I'm a bright morning person I really annoy the rest of my family because I'm the one jumping out of bed morning everybody and they're like (sighs) you know but it changed the atmosphere of the office because then they started opening doors and they started having conversations and the tension just kind of released and it was it was amazing and was that anything spectacular was it something that people are going to remember besides myself probably not but I watched other people's attitudes change and I watched other people's lives change because I chose to be faithful to what God was calling me to even in the position that I was in which was you know not much of anything but the position that I was in gave me the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with others I think that's it and that's that's how you apply it so that's all I got. Uh, what else do we have to do? I'm telling you. So I, I did want to say though, one good way to recognize people in your church, something that we haven't talked about before is our Woosley Women Wednesday. Oh, look um, at you sneak it in there. Got to get it in here. So I want you to recognize the women in your congregation. So if you would email me a photo and a 250 word biography of any woman in your church and the accomplishments that they have done, we'll make sure that we share those on our social media platforms on Wednesday. You can find us on Instagram at Wizley Women or our Facebook page of Women's Ministry of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Got all that? Bam. Ma'am. All right. Love it. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. And we'll see you next week. Amen.